Father in heaven, in a day in which um, the truth is there is much fear and anger, there is much uh, stirring up going on in the world, there is a lot of disputes and struggling. A dispute ought to be somebody asking a question and somebody answering it, but it's not like that anymore. There's so many people who think that they have the answer, but the answer really is Jesus. And you can't control our Jesus. You can't, you can't put your thumb on our Jesus. You can't mandate that our Jesus do anything at all because our Jesus is God. He was present at the creation and at the cross. He came back on the third day to prove to all who doubted that there is life after death. And that life after death can be more abundant through Jesus Christ our Lord. We confess our need today. There have been some struggles and some difficulties. We've lost loved ones. We ache as we see the world around us, the civil unrest, the decisions that people are making, the failure to honor you. And Lord, we ache most when we fail to honor you. And so we're asking you for the forgiveness that is available through Jesus and thanking you for it. And asking you now to govern the service. We know you're present. You never fail to show up when God's people gather together with the right heart. So we just ask you to be in charge. Take each note, string them together to make songs that honor you. Take each gift used, empower it, to encourage others in the room, and, and that we might, in the Spirit, by your power and authority, be whipped together into a church that brings you honor and can learn directly from you. Help us, Father. I want to thank you for the good reports that we've had this morning as well. we got praises across the board of folks that have had some good things happen, that have seen you at work or heard you in a certain way. And we praise you for that as well. Please help us, God, to honor you both for what you've done and claim your promises for what you will do as we sing praises to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
And so if I, if I could, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little activity together. We're going to say a little prayer here in a second. The Lord will help us do this activity. So Caleb, I'm going to need you to participate and you stop talking to each other. Okay? And listen up here. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. So we're going to do a little activity, and we're going to write three sentences on this page. But as we write those three sentences, no one is allowed to contribute more than one word in a row. Okay? So we're going to write a journal entry together as a team, as a church, as a gathered body of believers. Okay? So in a second, I'm going to just lead us in a brief prayer that God would lead us to the journal entry. And uh, today's date is... October 25th, I'm going to write that in the corner so nobody gets to cop out and say, well, we're right October 25th. All right, that's all taken care of. All right, and then right here on this line, it's going to start the first sentence, and then I'll put a dot in the middle of the page for the third, second sentence, and a dot toward the bottom of the page for the third sentence. Okay? All right, here we go. Let's pray together. We're going to pray in unity. I want you to pray with me because it's important because I want we're doing this together. Okay, here we go. God, this is your day. This is not a subtle reminder that we should and can practice journaling by way of wanting to grow in Christ. So help us, Lord, please, as a body, unify us from the youngest to the oldest to put together the words of three sentences for this journal entry. And may it forever be a reminder to us that we let you be first in all things, including journaling. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. So, somebody give me the first word. You get one word. Stand. Stand, okay? Somebody give me a second word. It can't be Mary Kay. United. What? United. Okay, United. Now, technically, that could be a sentence. Period. Okay, so, all right. (laughs) cannot give the next word. The first sentence is whopping. Stand United. I like it, okay? It's actually a title, title for the sermon today, which I'm sure you didn't know. Okay? So we're on sentence number two. Somebody give me the first word. Anybody but Arden? What? Today. Okay. Uh, he says Jesus. We'll go with that. Ron said today. Can, we, can that be the second word? Jesus today. I think we could do that, couldn't we? Put a comma in there. Jesus today. Now we know this is not a sentence. Jesus today is... It's a phrase, but it's not a sentence by itself. There's no verb, right? So we need a third set, third word, and we have Jesus, comma, today. We. We. So now we have somebody that's doing something. Walk. Walk. Beautiful. Together. Together. I like it. Pardon? Period. Hard to do. So you're not eligible to do the next word now. Okay? Yes, All right. Third sentence. Let me give me a word. We. Say it again. Church. Okay. That's going to be tricky. Church. That need a comma. Comma stand. Okay, we'll put the stand there. We'll put the comma in later if we need it. But right now we have church, stand. Together. Again, the together thing? What do you mean? In spirit. In capitalized? That's two words. That's two words. Oh, yes. Mary Kay wants in. Anybody want to be? Can I get a spirit? spirit. All right, all right. Arden, we'll give you your spirit. With a capital S? Yes. Okay. Anybody other than Arden? So right now we have church, stand together in spirit. 
Against. Against. Okay. The. Evil. We want the before evil. It's in the Lord's Prayer. All right, let's do that. Put the the in there. Okay. So right now we have church stand together in spirit against the evil. One. One. Period. What? Period? <laughs> okay. So this is our journal entry for October 25th as a church. First sentence, stand united. Second sentence, Jesus, today we walk together. Third sentence, church, stand together. I think it is a comma, right? Church stands. Church stands together in spirit against the evil one. How about that? I mean, it really wasn't that hard. Now you had a lot of help. There's a lot of other folks, right? After church? Church stand is it stands together in spirit against the evil one. Okay, good. Alright. So you get the basic idea. Now, you might go, you know, that's not really significant. I mean, we wrote a journal entry, but is it really significant? Well, here's what happens. And you know this, if you've ever done it or you've ever seen anybody read anybody's journal, read a book that was written like a journal, anything like that. Here's what happens. You flip the page. That's if if you're not led to write anything else. Right? You might write a lot more. God might lead you to write a lot more. God might have things to say that he wants you to write now. Right? Well, assuming he didn't. That's, if that was just that simple. Then you go over here and you write October 26th. And then you do the same thing. And then October 27th, you do the same thing. And October 28th, and you do the same thing. And you do it every day. And then what happens is, you know, roller coaster rides with just cars and no tracks, not very fun. The car just sits there with nothing to move. The car's not very fun. But when they're on the track, it becomes a ride. Right, And so when you're on track journaling, you can go back and you can look at what you wrote and you can gain great strength and go see how. And I want to say to you that without really realizing it, these almost could have been the three points of the sermon today. They're not, but they almost could have been. And we did that together as a church. I've always said, I've always believed that I don't, I don't write the sermon. God does that. And he does it not only in my heart, but he does it in the hearts of everyone that's present. And this is just further proof of that. Okay, so th- this could be bronze as far as you couldn't read it if it was, but it could be engraved on something, right? Because it's really powerful to know that the church understands the concepts that we're talking about. Now, if you if you go tomorrow and it's talking about the church needing to be united, you go the next time talk about the church needing to be united, now you got a theme developing, right? Or if it's every Sunday, it's about the church needing to be united, but every Wednesday, it's about feeling alone or lonely, then you start seeing a pattern. You realize that when I'm together with the church... I recognize I need to be united, and I feel, I feel like I'm working cooperation with somebody, but by Wednesday, I feel drained of that. It's gone. The enemy, so many attacks, so much weakness, whatever, it's gone. So I need an opportunity to be together with other believers midweek, or I need to midweek be focused on Sunday so that I realize that it's going to be like that. So that's what journaling accomplishes, and you can get a lot of help with journaling when you have a group of people, but really, you know, you and God is all you really need. And you sit down, and you write some things down, and it's valuable. Now, interestingly enough, there is another spiritual discipline, just as a little side note, another spiritual discipline that requires these same tools, and it is study, okay? which is not our spiritual discipline for the month, but I want to mention it. So as you do this, for example, if I said stand united, that might bring to mind a verse, right? There are lots of verses in the Bible about being united, about the church being united, standing united. So you could, that might bring to mind a verse. Or you might think, well, I think the verse... I think the Bible might have something to say about that, and you might look something up. And then when you start to write that down, or when you start to write something down about it, 
where you come up with questions and answers and write that down. That's study. It's not complicated. You don't have to go to a class. You don't need a lecture assistant. You don't need anybody like that. You just write some things down about the verse of that study. Journaling and studying go beautifully together with what other one? Spiritual discipline. Meditation, right? So if I took this here and I said, stand united. I, I'm going to show you an example of meditation. I sit quietly or with music playing in the background, for those of you who like music playing in the background or whatever, and I say, okay, stand united. What does the word stand mean? What does it mean to stand? Well, it means to get up off your seat. Why? What does that mean to stand? Oh, to stand under pressure, to stand against struggles, to stand when things are difficult, to stand up and be counted. Right? That, what, I, what am I doing? I'm meditating. I'm, at that point, I'm literally meditating on just on the word stand. Then I go to united. I say, okay, what does united mean? United means together. Oh, I remember we used to do puzzles when I was a kid. Puzzle pieces could be united, but only how they actually fit. You know, otherwise they just you can unite, but you need a hammer to do it. You know, and that kind of thing. So what does united mean? That's meditating on it, right? So if you wrote this journal entry, you could immediately, very easily transition into study, very easily transition into meditating, and all we started with was a blank piece of paper and a pen. Growing to be more like Jesus really just requires you and Jesus. But these are tools that you can use along that. And that's what spiritual disciplines are. And that's what occurs in journal. Um, there are lots of cool things you can do with journaling. Noticing patterns, restructuring your life, organizing yourself. You say, oh, God wants me to do this. I know that. And so you start writing it in your journal until it gets so ingrained in your head that now it becomes habit. Or God wants me to deal with and get rid of this thing that I'm struggling with. And so you keep writing it in your journal and also write down ways to get rid of it. Right? Ways to overcome it. Ways to set it aside. Ways, things to replace it with or whatever. Sometimes you make a list of two things. Over here's the things I want to add. Over here's the things I need to cut out. And you start Xing out or, or replacing the things you want to cut out. With the bad thoughts, the bad behaviors, whatever. And then the list on the left just keeps growing and nothing's cut off it. The list on the right keeps getting knocked off because you keep finding things to replace that list. Paper and pen, very useful tools. By no means is it required. But if you leave out one of the spiritual disciplines completely, you're definitely missing the ability to run the race with all the endurance you possibly can. So I would encourage you, maybe you don't have to journal every day or for the rest of your life, but uh, look for the times where journaling will make you a better Christian, will help you as a tool that Jesus has given us to make you better. Same thing with study, same thing with meditation, same thing with prayer, same thing with worship, and all of them. And if you leave out any of them, realize it's like driving an eight-cylinder car with only seven cylinders. You know, this really doesn't work the same way. You don't get the power, maybe it doesn't even run if it's the lead cylinder, right? I don't know cars, but that's right. You know? RJ said it'll probably so much. It'll just run. There you go. So we don't want to run like crap. There's the moral of the story, right? Yeah. Okay. So now we come to that moment in time. How have you, either through journaling, through prayer, through reading in the Word, through meditation, what have you heard, seen this week? I had a moment this week where the Lord was kind of speaking to my heart, and I about broke. I was trying to drive my car, and I just about I started crying. Never, never good to drive your car while you're crying because it's it's not really safe. But maybe you have something you want to share. RJ's hand is up. What do you got, RJ? Um, I was finishing some painting on my house on Thursday, and my buddy Charlie came over, and we were talking. And we actually got on the topic of writing because I like writing. I'm a horrible speller. My grammar is absolutely <laughs> terrible, but I like writing. And I was telling him part of the reason why I got into writing was because 
in high school I had serious anger problems and some mental issues and my therapist told me about just writing things down and one of the biggest things that she told me was when you write things down you can literally write whatever you want however you're feeling nobody ever has to know it's just you and a piece of paper it's not what and it, and it really does and me and him were talking about it I'm like man if that that it's able to get so much stuff off your chest that you can't say to people or you you think you can't say to people and you can just write it down and it's because the biggest thing is it's not good to hold stuff like that in because eventually it builds too much and then you just explode and that was what I had the problem with a lot I would just hold all my problems in I wouldn't tell anyone I wouldn't want anyone to know and then I would just explode and go off on whoever was by me and so like you, you were saying it because then when you write down when you go back like some of the stuff I wrote down 10, 15 years ago I still have and reading some of it it's like man I was really in a dark spot yeah so you can see how far you've come from where you were. And you can see some of the obstacles you've overcome. And it gives you that sense of uplifting. Like, hey, you know, maybe maybe I am really not a bad person. Because I know it's one of the things that I've struggled with a lot. Is I'm, I'm just a horrible human being and I'm absolutely worthless. And going back and reading and looking at some of the stuff I've accomplished, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm really not that person. And then especially when you can put God into it, and you can say, okay, even, even God says I'm not that type of person because he sent Jesus to die for me. Amen. So if, if I'm that important to someone like that, that they would die for me so I can be saved, then I'm really not just a worthless human being. Mm -hmm. word. Much encouragement to be found in journaling and listening to the Lord as you do so. Okay, who else? Anybody else? Um, I like to say, this week when I was at my Bible study, um, we were talking about God and who He is, and also who we are in Him. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, there is a lot of things about who we are in Him. Amen. I feel like that is very important to know who you are in Christ so you can behave that way. Amen. And, and it's not just about behavior, it's about a lot of things. Yeah. And um, so we have a list. I have a list of who you are in Christ. If anybody wants one, I'm happy. That would be cool. She's got a list of you know how the Bible teaches who we are in Christ. If you'd like to use that maybe in your prayer meditation time or add it to your journal. You can copy it. We can make copies in the office. If you want to do that before we go? Yep, that would be awesome. All right, good word, good word. Anybody else? Anyone once? Anyone twice? All right. I'm going to ask Brother Tony Tate. I don't know if you knew I was going to do that or not, Brother, but I'm going to ask you to pray with us as we transition back into Tyson Offerings and the rest of worship. Father, gracious Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that you are ever present before we get started the words, the worship. It all comes together because truly you hold it all together. So you hold us together with your truth, your love, and your grace and mercy. Even in this week, uh, after the service, God, we really find your peace, transcend all understanding. We thank you for this time. In Christ Jesus' name,
Real quick, in order of business, I just want you to know that around the room, uh, as part of an object lesson that will come later in the sermon, the Lord has led me to place some alarm clocks. So the alarm clocks are all set to go off at the same time, so don't panic. That's not a fire alarm. We're not having a terrorist emergency, anything like that when that happens. Um, If you are seated near one of those alarm clocks, when they do go off, you can shut it off. Okay, so we don't. So we'll we'll take charge of the nearest alarm clock to us, or anybody can, uh, just to make sure that it doesn't just go on blaring for however long. Don't snooze it if you would, but actually shut it off. Okay. All right. That being said, uh, I want to tell you a brief story to kind of highlight what we're going to talk about today. You see, the topic of the sermon is exclusive seating. This continues the sermon series that we've been working through. Um, some mistakenly have said that this is a sermon series that is literally out of the book of Hebrews. You'll recall that earlier on we had a sermon that was largely based in the book of Philippians. And today our sermon will largely based, be based in the book of 1 Corinthians, though we will use verses from Hebrews to make sure that we tie it to what we've been learning. The gist of, without getting back into the details of it, the gist of this sermon series has been the transition from let's call it simpler teachings to deeper teachings or milk teachings to meat teachings of Christ. And we first began talking about how you just can't do that if you are dull of hearing or off the way. Dull of hearing because you just won't hear, you won't be corrected, directed, learn, etc. And uh, off the way because it requires God to make that transition. Okay, That was way back at the beginning, over two months ago. If you haven't heard that sermon, it's online. You can, you can listen to it. I can send you a link. That being said, we went from there into what those fundamental teachings are, and then we went and kind of by transition over the space of two or three sermons into deeper teachings. We are now in what I would call the deeper teachings of that sermon series. As a Christian, I think you will forever be both in the simpler teachings and also in the deeper teachings. You may see yourself edging forward very proficiently in the simpler teachings of Christ over your whole life. right? If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have become a Christian, if you've been born again, then you basically understand the simple principle of love your neighbor as yourself, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so you're going to edge forward in those simple things. That's a simple teaching. Now, when you break those things down and you get into them and you really look at what that requires of us and so on, you may run into some deeper teachings. And those, you can like... You may chew on them for weeks or months and then all of a sudden take a big leap and go, oh, this is exactly what God wants from me. I recently had an experience with that uh, myself. It's happened a lot through this sermon series, but another uh, something completely different that I started kind of just beating myself up over about six months ago and just could not find what I felt was like the Lord's answer about that thing. And then this last week, I went through a spiritual, or actually it was last uh, Thursday, Friday, a week ago, Thursday, Friday, I went through a spiritual struggle, and out of that, found that answer, and I kind of leapt forward to a new stable place, and I hope I'll never go back to that old place of not knowing that answer. Sometimes chewing on the tougher stuff is like that. We are in the tougher stuff today, okay? So it's going to be quite a bit of scripture, and then I'll boil it down for you and help you see what it is that the Lord is trying to for us to see. Okay, now I'm going to tell you a story from my life that's going to help put this in perspective. Many years ago, I used to work at Radio Shack. I was a salesperson at Radio Shack and I became a key holder, which is kind of like an assistant manager. They didn't have an assistant manager. They had one manager who was salary and then they had salespeople. And then amongst the salespeople, they would pick somebody to be a key holder. And that person made deposits. That person uh, locked up the store, opened the store if it was in the morning, that kind of thing, shut everything down, supervised the other employees, and so on. And I became a key holder, and I was relatively young at the time. So Christmas Eve comes, 
Radio Shack is open, and you can imagine what Radio Shack was like then on Christmas Eve, because it was the heyday, the young day of everyone buying camcorders and these cool, awesome cell phones that you could put in your car that was a base unit like this with a cord, just like you have an old, on a phone in the house, and a handset, and you could pick it up, and you could dial on that little handset, and it was attached to this box unit was in your car, and it had like six milliwatts of power, and so it would reach you know, about a mile to a cellular tower if there was one, and you could actually make phone calls from your car, and they had just been out for a year or two. And so Christmas Eve, people are in there buying cell phones left and right, and they also had one that was a big clunky box phone that was like this. Some of you may have actually seen those. It had an antenna come off the top. That one was twice as expensive and almost as powerful as the one you could put in your car. And um, camcorders, stereos, satellite dishes. This is back in the day, you get a satellite dish and you could actually watch HBO. It was unscrambled. So you could watch HBO for free if you pay about $1,000 for a satellite dish and all of these other movie channel and everything like that. And so we were selling here, and this is like, a satellite dish was like 100 items that you had to buy so you could install this in your yard and run the cable and have the thing in the house and everything. You had to assemble the dish and all that. And we were selling all those things and they were going, going gangbusters. And I was on commission making six and three quarters percent of whatever we sold. So every time we sold a satellite dish, I made sixty-seven fifty or more, depending on whatever they added on, you know. And every time we sold one of those twelve hundred dollars cell phones, I made like eighty bucks every time. So I'm making money hand over foot. Well, I was supposed to be off at three o'clock. And everybody was coming to my house on Christmas Eve for Christmas Eve dinner at four o'clock. So at 3 o'clock, everybody's working, including me, and we're selling stuff like crazy, trying to get them out the door as fast as we can. And people, there's this mad rush on, and I don't know if it was a booming economy or what at the time, mad rush on everybody buying everything at Radio Shack and people making tons of money. So at 3 o'clock, I didn't want to go home. Not only did I not want to go home, my boss didn't want me to go home because they were lining up three deep to buy things for $500 and $1,000 at the register. And he's like, we're going to miss out on all this money. I don't want you to go. So at 3 o'clock, I didn't go. And at 3.30, I didn't go. And at 4, I didn't go. And then I'm getting phone calls uh, on, the, on the Radio Shack phones, pre-cell phone days. I'm getting phone calls on the Radio Shack phone going, hey, how's come you're not coming home? How's come you're not coming home? The people are showing up here at the house for a family dinner. And I, and I wasn't showing up. And everybody else was. And I got two, three phone calls uh, from my mom who just, she was very adamant that I, if there was a family dinner, I should have been there. And I wasn't. And so then... 4.30 comes, and she's like, I'm, I'm ready to put the food on the table about 4.30. And I see the clocks, 4.30, and they sold a bunch of clocks there, so they all said approximately 4.30. And I'm going, I'm, gonna not, I'm not at home. And I sold about $1,000 stereo unit or something. And I'm, like, I'm not at home, but I just made another $67.50. You know, how can anybody be upset with that? About 5 o'clock, we were supposed to close at 6, and about 5 o'clock, there was just this tiny lull, and there was no line at the register, but there was about 10 people in the store making purchases, and you're supposed to approach them and sell them, you know, as a salesperson, supposed to sell them whatever they needed. And I don't know if my boss, and I said, I, I really, I really got to go. I said, I'm already over two hours, and I said, my family is there for Christmas dinner at my house, and, and he's like, well, and he looks around, he's like, fine, go, and he's kind of mean to me about going because he didn't want me to leave because there's money to be made, and and he didn't understand why I wouldn't want to stay and make the money, but I'm like, I really got to go. And so I had bought early in the day, I had bought a used clearance stereo, and I, and I real quick, I loaded it in, in my car, and I drove to my house. It's a house I live in now, right over here in Northwood, on the, kind of on the edge of Oregon and Toledo, and like right there where Northwood's really skinny. But anyway, um, and 
I get to the house, and it's probably about 5.30 or so, and, and sure enough, they had held dinner as long as they could, and they're all sitting literally everywhere there is to sit in my house, having, uh, which wasn't my house, my parents' house, but anyway, they were having dinner, and I go in, and guess what? There's nowhere to sit. So I, I'm pushed by my mom to come home to participate in family dinner, and then I get there, and everybody's got a plate, and everybody's eating, and nobody missed me. Nobody's got any problem with eating. They're all eating. It's all fine. And, uh, and then I go in, and I'm like, where am I even going to sit? There was no standing room in the kitchen, even. There's people standing in the kitchen. And so, so my mom, being a loving person, she, she gave me a plate, and it's cold outside, bitter cold. I think it was sleeting, actually. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat outside. I'm not going to go back and eat in my car. And, I, and so I, I wind up kind of weaving through the living room and all squeezing between all the, no social distancing here, squeezing between all the little cousins and everything that were there. And I go and I sit on the stairs. And I sit on the stairs, out of view of everybody, disconnected from everybody. Nobody talked to me. Nobody, like, I, maybe it was a couple of, like, excuse me, as I'm walking through the room. There was no, oh, hi, oh, thank goodness, Danny's here, or anything like they used to do, right? But now I get there, and I sit down, and I start eating my food. I want you to bear that in mind, then, as we go to this scripture. Because some, some things were happening there. There was a dynamic that was taking place there that is also taking place in the kingdom of God and Jesus and his apostle Paul in particular wanted us to see this and, and change it, fix it. It's not right. Okay? All right. So, <clears throat> that being said, now maybe you got a who to holler and amen, and we go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Amen. amen. Thank you for those of you who participate in my little object lesson. We now turn it over to the word of the Lord. Not what I think, not what you think, but what God thinks. Here we go. You ready? It is chapter 11 and chapter 12. We will not stop and explain every little detail as it goes by, but you need to see that this is an overall teaching about all the same thing that Paul is talking about, and we cannot miss the overarching teaching, which is what we usually do. Verse, uh, verse I'm sorry, it's 10 and 11. I said 11 and 12. It's 10 and 11, okay? So it's chapter 10 that I'm starting with. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. I want you to see the word all there. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. The emphasis in these verses is on the all. They all were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, and all... in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Okay, now we know, not necessarily literally, right, but Paul is teaching them something really important here, and it spans these full two chapters and is often missed. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. So in other words, there was a large percentage of them that God was not well pleased, even though they all were part of that. For they were laid low in the wilderness. Many of them died in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, that we should not crave all evil things as they also craved. In other words, we're different now. We don't go after what the world wants. We don't listen to our lusts of our flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. We are, our eyes should be on Jesus. Verse 7. And do not be idolatrous, he says, and have no other gods, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. For let us act immorally. Let us, nor let us act immorally. There we go. Let me stop one second. Verse 7. Notice, they all ate. What were they eating? Go back to the top, right? 
They were eating the same spiritual food, drinking from the same spiritual rock, which is Jesus, right? You get all that? So they sat down to eat and stood up to play. I submit to you they were different people when they sat down to eat what God provided than they were when they stood up to play. That's kind of the whole point, right? Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the age have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So these are directions to the church to realize that what? Even though you may be eating of the same spiritual food, even though you fit under that same umbrella, even though you have a seat at the same table, if you engage in these other activities, you can fall, you can pay. And so even though you think, well, I might not be falling right now, I might be doing what's right right now, take heed lest you fall. They ate from the same food. They had the same teaching. They were okay in Christ. Essentially, they didn't know Jesus, but they knew of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah that God was pointing toward and so on. They had the gist of it, but many of them fell nonetheless. He says, 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. Notice that they all ate, but this is a different all. Right? This temptation is common to all. Not just all those who ate of the spiritual food. Not just all those who were under the cloud or led by God or drank of the spiritual rock. Right? Not just those, but all people face this temptation. And God is faithful to provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Again, that's having anything that's really important to you that you would put even remotely up on a scale of Christ. It doesn't have to be equal or above, but it, even if you start to elevate things, worship things other than God, for example, that would be idolatry. Worship is to declare the worth of things other than God. That would be idolatry. 15. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? So now we understand we've begun to talk in kind of figurative terms, but we've begun to talk about the Lord's Supper. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So in other words, he's saying, you have a seat. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a believer and born again, you have a seat at the table. Understand? You have an exclusive seat, a spot for you at the table. And what table is he talking about? He's talking about the Lord's table, right? Not your dining room table or somebody else's dining room table or a table in the fellowship hall, but he's talking about the Lord's table. Okay, verse 18. Look at the nation Israel. Israel Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? So he's talking about, he's hearkening back to Leviticus and the way things were set up in the tabernacle. So after they, they did the sacrifices, the extra meat, the priests and like that were allowed to eat, right? So they shared in the altar by eating the meat that, they, that was sacrificed, 19. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. 
and I do not want you to become sharers and demons, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. In other words, as if I said to you, you have a seat at the table of the Lord, but if you get a seat at any other table, your seat at the table of the Lord is disqualified. You can't have both. Right? So if you have a seat at the table of the Lord and you know you have that seat, then you cannot have a seat at the table of demons. Which would be really easy to do without realizing it because we're pressed so hard by media of all kinds, even by the world, by our flesh, etc., to partake of something else, to find our joy, to find our value in something that is not God. If you have a seat at the table of the Lord, you cannot have a seat at the table with demons. If you have a seat at the table with demons, you cannot have a seat at the table of the Lord. And before you say, oh, I would never, we can say that while we're here worshiping God and listening to the word. But remember, they sat down to eat from the spiritual rock. They drank. They sat down to eat the spiritual food provided by God. They were taken care of by God and they got up to play. They, were, they allowed themselves to compartmentalize their life. They were two different kinds of people. They were faithful in the Lord while they were at the Lord's table. But when they got up from the Lord's table, they were walking right essentially to the table of demons. Verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. We've heard these verses before, but now I want you to hear them in the context of what he's talking about. In other words, you can do anything. It's all lawful now. But not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify, which is to build up. We're supposed to build up. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. In other words, there's no food, as long as it's not literally like disease or something, that you can't eat. But there may be qualities of certain foods that rule out it, rule it out. And, and he goes on to talk about that in verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you wish to go, eat anything that is set before you. So if you sit down at somebody who doesn't know Christ's table and they offer you food, you just eat anything that's set before you. Don't ask. Without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, which you could usually buy cheaper in the marketplace, and so sometimes they would say that, and they would wonder whether or not you would have a problem with eating the food that was sacrificed to idols, right? And it, so they might mention it and say, this food's been sacrificed to idols. If anyone should say to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. In other words, it's not about you. It's perfectly fine for you to partake of those things. But when those people, when the person starts to say to you, hey, this food was sacrificed to idols. Are you okay with that? Is that, is that a problem? Then you say, okay, well, I'm not going to eat it. But it's not about you that you're not going to eat. It's not that you're worried about falling into a trap or whatever. It's the fact that it offends their conscience or it leads them to a place that they think something, an idol is something. Okay? People say, well, I'm not going to refuse to eat it because I don't want them to think there's an idol, that an idol is something. But what did Paul say an idol is? Food sacrificed to idols is sacrificed to demons. So an idol is something. It's a channel to worshiping demons. Now be careful because this is talking about food here. But this is your sports. This is your games. This is your paychecks. This is your jobs. This is your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your, your husband, your children, your family, your house, your car. It's all of those things. If that thing, by somebody's understanding is connected to an idol. So in other words, uh, this is, Christians don't not play the lottery because it would be a sin to do so. 
You don't play the lottery because somebody eventually is going to run into you and they're going to think it's a sin to do so and you would be offending their conscience. You play the lottery if you want. But realize at some point in time, that's not to edify. It's not going to help somebody. When you do that, they're eventually, somebody's going to see that and you're eventually going to offend their conscience. Notice that all of this is about putting yourself out. It's about self-sacrifice. right? Jesus came as a self-sacrifice. He did that for us. And we're to do the same for others. He says, 29, I mean not your own conscience. Don't worry about you being offended. Are you actually uh, worshiping demons? Or you know who you worship and God, it's God alone. But the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, but seeking my own profit. Not seeking my own profit, but, by, but the profit of the many that they may be saved. In other words, he was constantly putting himself out there. He was giving up his best situation. He was giving up his money. He was giving up his time. He was taking a risk of being arrested, taking a risk of being killed. He was constantly giving up what was best for him to try to reach people for Christ. Now, the whole chapter as a whole is written to the church at Corinth to help them to understand that there is a problem in the kingdom of God. Are you beginning to see what the problem is? We'll go a little further. Now he's going to talk about Christian order, so he's very going to get pretty dialed down on what's going on in the church. He says in verse 1 of chapter 11, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Remember, that comes right on the last verse 33, which said, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And then he says, Be imitators. In other words, be like that. Be like I'm talking about, just as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who something who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. So this is what people usually do. They drill down on this and they start saying, well, men should not wear hats while they pray. I wouldn't say that's incorrect. But... That's not what he's actually talking about, is it? This is all part of this discourse. He says, Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her hair uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. So we always tell women, that, taking it literally, we always tell women that they shouldn't wear a hat while praying. Paul, if, you, if you're taking it literally, Paul just said, if they don't wear a hat, or he'll go on to say, have long hair, they would actually be disgracing God while praying, if you're taking it literally. But that's not what he's actually talking about, is it? He's talking about this deeper teaching that we're trying to understand. I'll go back to the beginning of five. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same with her whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, well, let me go back to the beginning six. For a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. Did you hear that? So in other words, if, if, if he's saying, if you've determined that this is disgraceful or bad, then let this be done. Let there be a solution. Okay? Now, continuing on the same thought. Seven, for a man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For a man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. 
For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Which is true if you remember Adam and Eve. Okay, I'm not going to go there. Just remember the Bible. 10. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So he's talking logically it should be like this. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. So in other words, now he's saying, you got all these teachings, right? And you figured out all these rules about who should wear a hat and who shouldn't, and who should have long hair and who shouldn't, and who's disgraced if they're shaved and who isn't. You guys got all this down. You've nailed it. But actually understand this. That's what the however is. But this is what's actually more important, what you need to understand. In the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. So now he's creating a unity or an equality in Christianity that I'm just going to say to you did not exist in their society. Women had no rights whatsoever and he just gave the woman rights over the man. And the man rights over the woman too. He just raised her to a position of equality plus. That's what he did. And then he goes on to say, judge for yourself. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? In other words, basically saying, what do I care? You figure it out. That's not a God thing. Does not even nature itself teach you that a woman has long hair? It, it is a, um, it is a, if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is, is, it is a glory for her. In other words, this is the logic that we go by. This is what our culture says. This is what people have always, always understood. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if one is inclined to be contentious, listen, this is important. This is what he was getting at all this time. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. And as we don't, as apostles, nor do the churches anywhere, have any practice other than what? So people want to say, other than women have to wear hats. But this is not even what he's talking about, is it? He's talking about a unity that exists. He just got done saying, the man is dependent on the woman, the woman is dependent on the man. Right? We have no other practice. You want to be contentious? You don't really belong. Because that's not what we do. We don't fight over this stuff. This is a big debate over wear a hat, don't wear a hat. Who cares? Culture says, the law says, the way we see things all says. But who cares about that? We have a, he's talking about a unity. But if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. It's simple. We don't do this. We don't need to do this. We don't need to argue. 17. But in giving the instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And now is where the problem is going to be brought to light. Okay? So he says to the church, and understand, listen, the church does not have contention, right? So, because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, when you come together as a body, you don't come together for good, you come together for bad. It's not good that you're together as a church. 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist amongst you. And in part, I believe it. In other words, there you come together as a church, but somebody over here believes this and somebody over here believes that. In fact, the Bible actually calls it heresies. Somebody's got it wrong and probably somebody else has got it wrong. We're not contentious, remember? He says, you come together with divisions amongst you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions, that, that word literally is heresies in the Greek, among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. So in other words, there has to be divisions. Because some people got to be the mess up so other people can be okay. 
So you've got to put somebody down so somebody else can be right. Verse 20, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one of you takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. So they were coming together for what they were calling the Lord's Supper, but they were basically having a meal, and at different times they did it different ways, and sometimes the rich would come bring their own food, and they would eat, and the poor would go home hungry, or they would sit there hungry. People who couldn't bring anything, they would sit there without. So we're doing things that make people feel like second-class citizens of the kingdom. And we're doing it in the interest of being together. So we come together, but it's not for good, it's actually for bad, because the people who come, they feel like second-class citizens of the kingdom at best. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Because you come together in these fellowships and things, you have time together, and you, and you make people feel like dirt. And this, I will not praise you. Only a little bit left. Now he's going to get into the Lord's Supper. Remember that he did say in there, therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. That was in there. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered you, that the Lord Jesus is in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's giving them the basic parameters under which the Lord's Supper functions. Right? It's Jesus did this. We follow his example. In the same way, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The huge phrase there is you proclaim the Lord's death. That's what the Lord's Supper is really about. Notice that he was saying when they were coming together for these love feasts, they weren't having the Lord's. They weren't coming together for the Lord's Supper. But they ought to be coming together for the Lord's Supper. But they don't have the Lord's Supper every time they get together. Or, or do they? Okay. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So we don't want to do that, right? That's pretty much obvious. 28. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. Take a look at yourself. It's always a dangerous thing to take a look at yourself, but do that. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Hang on. There it is. So you've got to examine yourself. And the big chief question is what? Are you going to judge the body of Christ rightly? You follow that? It's not, did I lie last week? It's not, did I have an abortion when I was 17? It's not, did I get in a fight at the bar this weekend? Sure, those are things that you should repent from, but the thing that Paul primarily says we need to examine is, are we judging the body rightly? We'll come back to that in the points. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. So it's not because some people lied. It's not because some people committed adultery and maybe they didn't come out publicly about it or whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with that. He says it's about judging the body rightly. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. In other words, if you're not understanding and you're in sin and you don't judge yourself rightly and repent and turn to God, you may well face the punishment. 
but specifically about not judging the body correctly, not understanding who and what the body is. Verse 33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So everyone comes together, we wait for one another. And I want you to see the phrase to eat. And I want you to understand, if you haven't figured it out by now, he's not talking about taking the Lord's Supper. Have we got there? Do we understand he's not talking about taking the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, as he's talking about it, is something more, something different than just the bread and the wine. Right? Because they didn't have the Lord's Supper every time they come together, but he's using the analogy of the Lord's Supper for every time they come together. You follow that logic? So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If everyone is hungry, let him, if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Okay. So it's a lot, and it seems to be on the surface when you take the little nitpicking of it, you want to pick it apart. It sounds like it's talking about the Lord's Supper. But I hope you've figured out by now he's not actually just talking about the Lord's Supper. The first thing I want you to see in these, in these texts, and it really, really convicted me. In fact, I, I want to say to you, I'm still wrestling with it today a little bit, is that the church has a table. It is the Lord's table. The church is fed at the Lord's table. And so the conglomerate of the church, the gathered body of the church, the word ecclesia in the New Testament means the, the called out assembly of God, is fed at the Lord's table. And I want to su- submit to you that here in this room, every Sunday morning at 11.30 a.m., and it has been that way ever since the time was 11.30 a.m., so all the way back on Main Street, without exception, we've never canceled a Sunday. Every Sunday morning at 11.30 a.m., this church meets to eat at the Lord's table which includes worship, which includes prayer, which includes the ministry of the Word, which in our case includes the inspirational moment where we talk about how God has been speaking to us. That's what he's talking about. Yes, there is a symbolic, specific ordinance of the church that has been commanded where we take bread and juice to represent the flesh and the blood. And every time we do that, we proclaim his death. And by the way, what about his death? Well, if he died for all, then all died. Right? And that's your entrance into the church. You died and were born again and became the church. The church meets, uh, New Heights Fellowship meets every Sunday morning at 1130. We have a table that is prepared for us by God. And so let's talk just briefly about that table. It includes worship. So we have people in our body who lead us in worship. But are they worshiping? Well, they darn well better be. And Brother Tim always says, if you're not worshiping when you're leading worship, you shouldn't be leading worship, right? And then other people in the chairs worshiping. Listen to me. If you sit in these chairs on Sunday morning at 11.30, 11.35, we ended it today, we ended with the actual singing portion of worship and, and the other things that we did at about 12.15, 12.20, something like that, and you have not worshiped God, then something is wrong. You, did, you came into the room, but you did not come to the table. If we go to the Word and we start preaching the Word and you're not asking yourself, what does this mean? Or you're busy on your phone or you're watching a video or you're daydreaming or you're falling asleep or whatever, then you didn't come to the table. And there's a problem with not coming to the table, isn't there? When I was a kid, my mom would set the table for dinner and she, she would like make a fast food chef. She would make food that everybody liked. So my dad, my, dad, my dad liked meatloaf, but none of us did. So every time she made meatloaf, she'd make a meat that my brother liked. And if the meat that she, my brother liked, she made, 
I didn't like, she'd make a third meat. That's the way she used to cook. And so when it come time to sit down at the table, there would be a meat that everybody liked. There would be two vegetables that everybody liked. Even if that meant six vegetables, they would be there. There would be bread that everybody liked. Even if it meant three or four breads to get there, there would be something to drink that everybody liked. Even if it meant three or four drinks to get there. But when it came time to sit down at the table, your hands would be washed and you would sit down at the table. And listen to me. You would sit down at the table or you would not eat. If the family sat down at the table and you didn't come, then you didn't get to eat. Worse than that, if, you, if somebody wasn't at the table at the time, say it was 6.30, we're going to sit down at 6.30, somebody didn't come to the table at 6.30, you know who ate at 6.30? Nobody. We don't eat until everybody eats. That's what she would say. And ultimately... We would come to a moment in time at 6.40 or 6.45 as the food's starting to get cold. She'd say, well, the food's getting cold. Danny's just not going to eat today. He didn't come to the table. So then I wouldn't eat. And if I came to the table at six, like 20 minutes after we were supposed to start, so 6.50, and I'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm late, I didn't get to eat, she'd say, you can eat when we're done. That's the way it works at the Lord's table. If you don't come to the Lord's table when the Lord calls you, you're not going to eat. And hear me now, and I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes, but that also applies, unfortunately, very unfortunately, for those who are only present on streaming or only listening to this service on a podcast. You didn't come to the table today. I'm not trying to be mean, I'm not trying to be rude, but the reality is when the table is a table, Paul was representing a physical table when he said the Lord's table. You don't come, you don't eat. He said, but yeah, I do. I sit at home and I listen and I, I, I worship when we sing I, and I submit to you that you worship your, singing your songs, but at 11.55, if you're thirsty, you get up and go to the kitchen and get something to drink. Nobody else in here needs to do that in the middle of a worship. No praise team member walks down off the stage and goes to the drinking fountain in the middle of a song of the third verse. People are making sacrifices to be allowed to come to the Lord's table, and it's those who come to the Lord's table who, wait for it, actually come to the Lord's table. You can say you come to the Lord's table, but if you don't come, you don't come. The Lord's table, the church has, is that now, there are those who come to a different representation or a different place at the Lord's table. And are they the church? So if they come across town and they go to Sylvania, let's say, and, and they go to their church on Sundays and they're faithful and they're, they're listening to the Word and they're worshiping and they're working in the Spirit to be part of that body and they come to that, that uh, representation of the Lord's table, then yes, that's their Lord's table. But if, don't kid yourself. If you go out on a Sunday and I'm going to travel on a Sunday later this year and I'm gone and I go to another church, I am visiting someone else's the table, Right? When I'm at home at my table, you know what I put on most of my food? A lot of food that I like. I like to put a little garlic salt. I like to put a little crushed red pepper. And about half the restaurants I go to when I'm eating away from home have crushed red pepper. They're pizza restaurants, Italian restaurants, something like that. About half of them have that. Guess how many people of them have garlic salt? None. I've never been to a restaurant that has garlic salt. So when I eat away from home, I don't get the food that, that was for me. I don't get the food that was seasoned for me that has my garlic salt or crushed red pepper on it I don't get that right so when you visit another table you're going to get the food and so you have to put you have to have the right eyes and the right ears to then translate what the Lord said to you when you visit that other table to to translate it into the language that we would use or the the 
habits and the traditions and the relations and the connections that we would have. The Lord's table is here and we are at the Lord's table right now. We have a deacon whose job, and he understands this, is to serve the Lord's table. And he serves us every Sunday morning. We have a preacher whose job is to bring the Word, which if I could say this, is the milk and the meat, to the table every Sunday morning. And people are preparing themselves. And the preacher is preparing himself to preach, but the congregation is not preparing themselves to listen and be changed. That was the problem. If you come together like that, you're not coming together for the good that God intended. We've come today to the Lord's table. And we started our service today at 11.35. I was greatly honored by that, actually. Because that's when we were ready to start. Somebody was going, I start at 11.30. Keep the schedule. It's the Lord's schedule. I submit to you that today the Lord's schedule was to start at 11.35. There were people on Facebook showing up at 11.30 checking to see if it was there. Or at 11.35, they popped in because they got the little notification saying, hey, it started at 11.35, right? But they didn't show up at the Lord's table or they showed up at the Lord's table that was empty. I got this one. There we go. It's going to happen again. Some folks came to the Lord's table today. Let me say to you that Paul is asking us, and the writer of Hebrews, as we'll see in a second, is asking us to take our seat at the Lord's table. Take your seat, for crying out loud. God has paid the ultimate price to set the table for you. Take your seat at the table. Jesus tells a parable. We won't go there and read it in the interest of time, but He tells a parable about a great wedding feast and and, and when it comes time to go to the wedding feast, people start making excuses about why they can't go to the wedding feast. I got a couple oxen I got to check out first. I just got married. I, I bought a piece of property and whatever. Stop making excuses! This is the Lord's table. We're going to come together and we're going to hear from God and hear from His Word and we're going to worship Him and we're going to pray to Him and we're going to literally hear... Look at the inspirational moment. Who do you think wrote those sentences? Was it the body? Nobody put out but one word in a row. Who assembled those sentences? I can tell you with an absolute certainty it was them because what the heck am I talking about right now? It was God that wrote these sentences because this is the sermon for today. I didn't do it. I didn't even contribute a single word to the page. I asked a couple questions. That's all I did. And then you take that, you can put that right over here in between the points of my sermon and you'll find that it's the same. God is saying, take your seat at the table, stop making excuses. Then, in the same parable, there were people in the highways and byways, and they got all got invited in, and it still wasn't, wasn't full. And the master comes and says, my, my feast is not full, go invite some more. And so they go invite some more. And then finally, the master comes walking through the wedding feast, and he sees one man there who's not in a wedding garment. And he says, how did you come to be in here without a wedding garment? And the man has no answer. And then he's kicked out into the outer darkness where there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. After they hunted him down in some back alley, laying in a pile of refuse, or in some restaurant somewhere, or some job that he was working and hated it anyway, and he got called to come to the wedding feast, and after he gave up whatever he was doing, divorced himself wherever he was at, and he came to the table, and the Lord comes and says, how do you get to be at the table today? 
And because he didn't know he was at the table of the Lord, because he didn't know it was the Lord's table, and he didn't know that he got there because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, he didn't know that he'd been born again, he was cast out where there'd be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's the problem. First of all, the Lord's table gathers, and people go, I don't got to go. It'll gather again next week. I'm too tired. I'm too weak. I had too much trouble. I don't have enough money. I can't give. I can't serve. I can't do this or that or the other thing. And they, or, or they'll just cop out to some stupid excuse that doesn't even logically make any sense, and they don't show up at the Lord's table. But some do show up at the Lord's table, and you might be here right now at the Lord's table, but you're missing how you got here and why you got here. Listen, if there's nobody in this room that got there by their own strength, then that changes who we are as a church. That means that if you didn't get to the Lord's table and to His provision by your own strength, because you were smart enough and figured it out, or about some kind of action plan, or because you followed certain rules or certain steps, if that's not how you got to the Lord's table, then your right to eat at the Lord's table is dependent on the one who put you there, which is Jesus, which is the sacrifice that He made. And so it does not matter what anybody looks like It does not matter what any... Hear me now, and this is stuff in your toes. It does not matter what your struggles are outside this room. It does not matter if you hurt. It does not matter if you're poor. It does not matter if you do not have a place to live. It does not matter if you are addicted to alcohol or drugs. It does not matter if you are addicted to sex. It does not matter. If God has given you your place at the table, then you have your place at the table, and that is where you should be to be fed. But there are divisions amongst you, Paul says. Look at people and go, oh, you, you know, but they're living in sin. You know? It's the common, but they're living in sin. We, thankfully, we don't have anybody here that has sin, right? Sure as heck do. If you think you don't have any sin, you're lying to yourself. That's what John said. The church has a table. Take your seat at the table and then don't quit. Jesus told another parable about a land, a master who went away and he left a servant in charge. And he, and he basically said, uh, uh, yeah, not in the same place, but in, in uh, Matthew 24 and in Luke 12, he basically said, if the master comes again and finds that servant, so doing, meaning taking care of the body, taking care of other believers, doing the things that he was commanded to do, then the master will be pleased with them. But if that servant in the time intervening starts to say, well, the master's a long time in coming back. This is kind of a long journey. It's a long thing that we're going through here. And he um, doesn't stay the course. He quits serving, giving of himself, sacrificing, putting other people first. He quits doing that. Then when the master comes again, it says that servant will be lashed with many lashes and cast out, cast out where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Stay the course, the Bible says. Stay the course, Jesus says. First of all, come to the table. Then coming to the table and taking your seat. Don't quit. Yet everything in the world and even in many churches all over the world says you're better off to quit because it is a pain in the royal butt to put up with each other's stuff. To not think the way the person across the aisle does. To not understand the same things that everybody else does. Listen, that is exactly what the church is. We're diverse and unique. 
We are not independent of one another, not male nor female, no race, no culture, no age, no finances. We are not independent. If somebody who is faithful to this Lord's table is crashing and you do nothing, you will answer to God. Very possibly with many lashings and cast out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You've got to know what's going on. And we don't. Because we don't care. We're so busy dealing with our own struggles, we're not asking questions. What are you going through, man? What's up with you? I see a change in your attitude, a change in your behavior. I see you look really tired. What's going on? Just tell me. No, I, I, I don't want to tell you. Okay, well, let me just pray for you. You know? But we're not. Sherry stood up here nine months ago with tears in her eyes saying, we just need to be truthful to each other. But here's what happens. This is, and let's just be genuinely honest for a moment. Here's what happens. When people start to go through stuff, because nobody here is going to solve their problem, and that's true, we're not going to solve their problem. We might help them a little bit, we're not going to solve their problem. The problem is solved by God if it's solved at all. We always think it's solved by them, but it isn't. It's solved by God if it's solved at all. You can do nothing except for Christ who is in you. There's absolutely nothing you can do. So even if you decide to not be an addict anymore and manage to not be an addict anymore, it won't be you that did that. It'll be God. So they're going through their troubles and we see them go through their troubles, but then they withdraw. They isolate. They pull away. It's too hard, you know? But I submit to you that a lot of the time, and this is what Paul is getting at, isn't it? Isn't this what chapter 10 and what chapter 11 were about? The reason that people don't come, even when they're going through difficulties, is because the enemy is actively making them feel like second-class citizens of the kingdom at best. And truth is, he's out to make them feel like they're lost and not saved. He's making them to feel like second-class citizens at their best. And the church, the body of Christ, that is supposed to come together for good and do the exact opposite, is helping that effort. Because instead of drawing people in and constantly asking them, you know, how many times on Christmas Eve did my mom call me and say dinner's going to be served? Three or four times. While I'm working, she knew I was working, but she knew I was supposed to be off, and I wasn't, and something was wrong. She called me, First of all, she called me, I just want to make sure your car didn't break down or something. No, I'm still at work, Mom. Okay, well, so you know, this is what time we're eating. Okay, Mom, I'll try, I'll try to be there. We're really busy. Fifteen minutes later, Dan, phone's for you again. Why are we not calling on them to come to the Lord's table? And the Lord's table, as Paul was representing it to the Corinthians, was the gathering of the body of believers who have selected, if you will, who have received Jesus Christ into their lives, had their hearts changed. You now have to care about whether people come to the Lord's table or not. It's not who you come to church with me. Paul was talking about coming to the Lord's table. He's talking about being fed by, being provided for by, being sustained by God. And that happens when the body comes together. And is it work? Yes. If you have a hard time getting here at 11.30 on Sunday morning, think and go to sleep sooner on Saturday night. Eat better. Exercise more. To be the best worshiper of God you can be, you need to get your weight under control. You need to get your mind under control. You need to spend time in the Word. You literally have to be in the process of fixing everything that is wrong with you all the time because all of those things are barriers to keep you from doing certain things in your life. Yes, and one of those things is being devoted to God. That's the Lord's table. And when you approach the Lord's table, number one, you better know how you got there, why you got there, and that was only through the price paid for 
by Jesus and that you were born again. And then as you approach the Lord's table, that becomes your clothing. Yes, I'm a dirtbag who screwed up on Thursday, but I'm worshiping God today because I want to eat at the Lord's table. The problem is, you got other tables to eat at. We all do. I've got other tables to eat at. A couple of times throughout my career in the ministry, it's come up that I had a job offer in the secular world. You come work for us and make $40,000, $50,000 a year. I'm not worth $80,000 a year yet to anybody. Some people are, but I'm not. But I'm doing what God would have me to do. On Sunday morning, you've got to set your alarm. And when your alarm goes off, it shouldn't be, oh, I'm going to snooze it because I, I'm, I don't want to get up because I'm tired because I stayed up late last night doing X or watching TV or because I worked too many hours this week or because my health isn't quite right or whatever. It should be, whoa, wait, it's Sunday. Yes, we're going to the Lord's table. And this is what bothered me so much about this sermon. Because hear me now, when my, my arm goes off on Sunday morning, as much as it's frustrating to be a pastor, as much as there is a struggle and a difficulty to try to, to, to be able to see what people are doing and contrast that with what they maybe should be doing or could be doing or what God's Word would tell them to do, as much as I struggle with that all the time, when my alarm goes off on Sunday morning, 99% of the time, unless I'm swept up in spiritual warfare and it's one of those Sundays where I feel like quitting and running, all right, 99% of the time, when my alarm goes off on Sunday, I'm like, yes, it's Sunday, best day of the week. Did you not hear Paul say, what, don't you have a table at home to eat at? When you come here on Sunday morning, the stuff that goes on at your house, the work, the sleep, the bills paid, the food on your table, the time you spend with your kids, you know what all that's for? It's all so that when you come to the Lord's table on Sunday morning, you can come as the best you. You can present yourself. Now, I'm not saying fake it. I'm not saying be a hypocritical, be an absolute snot six days a week, and then on the seventh day you're perfect, or the first day, Sunday, you're perfect when you come in here. I know people that will, their husband and wife teams will argue like crazy on Sunday morning and then go to the Lord's table and act like nothing ever happened. They haven't resolved it. No peace has been made. Nothing is actually good. But they're, they're destroying each other six days a week and then expect to be able on that one last day to really honor God at the Lord's table, and you just can't do it. You've got to turn your relationship over to God. I know people that are so much about money. Six days a week on Amazon, eBay, places like that, looking, searching out a bargain, trying to do better, buy a little something, you know. If I, I can get control of my life, if I can spend a little more money in just the way that I want to do that, listen to me. God has a plan for your money. And it doesn't include Amazon and it doesn't include eBay. Or Walmart. You're like, well, whoa, but, but that's how I get my stuff. Right but only out of necessity. Only because if you don't buy food for, to put in your refrigerator, you can't later cook it. Your life is not about that. Your life is about this. It's not about your job and working extra hours. It's about eating at the Lord's table and inviting people to the Lord's table so they also can eat. So at 11.35, on Sunday morning, we're just about to start worship. And we're missing a member. It should be in everybody's mind. Where is our member? Where's our liver today? Where's our arm today? Where's our body part? Everyone should be concerned about everyone else. 
That's what Paul's talking about. So you're rich and you can bring more to a potluck, so bring it and then don't eat. Or eat last. It's possible that based on these verses, we shouldn't ever have a potluck ever. Because that ain't the Lord's Supper. A Bible study is a good place and encouraging each other by the word, that's all good. Worship together, pray together, praise together, that's all good. But in our church, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm being completely transparent, here's what I've seen. I've seen people who profess to love God and live for God. They'll serve God. They will literally go out of their way to give money, serve, take care of other people. And then I've seen them sit at the tables in our cafeteria and eat their food in front of people who haven't eaten all day. I'll name names, but I won't. If somebody's going to watch you eat, and you better make sure they've eaten. If you don't have enough money to buy for you and everybody in the room, go hungry. This is our church, people. We eat at the Lord's table. When you're sitting at the Lord's table and somebody wants to come and join you there, you get up and give them your chair. God will make another for you. You make sure that everybody who's thinking about coming to Jesus is welcome. It's time that the church lived like the church that Paul was talking about. In case we need a second testimony, we're in the conclusion now. We're going to go to Hebrews 13, and I'll go back over the points just to make sure everybody kind of got it. Hebrews 13 says it this way, beginning in verse 1. Let the love of the brethren continue. In other words, that's those who are eating together at the Lord's table, the family of God. Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entreated, entertained angels without knowing it. So if someone comes and wants to be part, you make sure you include them, because it just might be a test, if you will. Verse 3, Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. So we have people who belong to Jesus Christ who have the name of New Heights Fellowship tattooed on their heart. And they, they aren't coming. They aren't participating. They aren't serving and they aren't giving. And you don't know why. And in some of those cases, I don't know why. And that's, that's not acceptable. That's not the church that God is talking about. If you are part of the same body as them, then whatever difficulty they're going through, you stand with them in it. You go find them and if they say, I don't want to be part of New Heights Fellowship, I don't want to be part, I don't want to eat at the table, I don't want to be part of the teaching, I don't want to be part of the serving, or whatever, that's a different thing. Then you're no longer obligated to do anything. But you are more than obligated to put every one of your resources on the table to make sure that the brothers and sisters in Christ who call themselves New Heights Fellowship are led to the table, have a seat at the table, are blessed at the table, and understand what's taught, how to serve, Verse 4 says, let marriage, this is talking about in the body of Christ, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators, those who misuse sex, adulterers, those who have sex outside marriage in any way, shape, or form, even lust, God will judge. He says that's a pretty dangerous statement for a Christian. We're not, to be ju- we're not going to be judged now by Christ 
because we are owned by Christ. But if you're a fornicator or an adulterer, that, that opens the door to judgment. Verse 5, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? It changes the context when you realize he's talking about the body coming together and having these, all, all of us having these same things. Verse 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin and burned outside the camp are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him, that's Jesus, outside the camp, bearing his reproach for... Here, we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. This is what it means to be the church. And you could bring the point the sermon down to one point, but I do want you to see, number one, the church has a table. It's the Lord's table. Number two, you need to take your seat at the table. Number three, you don't quit once you take your seat at the table. But the conclusion is this. You better know who and what the church is. Because the symbolic Lord's Supper, when you take the bread and the juice that Paul uses as a symbol in there, when you take that, which is supposed to proclaim the death of Christ and remind us that he died for all, therefore all died and were born again, right? If you take that unworthily, which means not knowing who and what the body is, That's how people wound up sick and dead in that passage of Scripture. God will judge it. And I wrote it this way. I'll explain it, but I'll leave you with this thought. You are not entitled to your you-ness to the detriment of others' us-ness. And yes, I'm aware those are not actual words. You don't get to be independent you when you're eating at the Lord's table. If there's somebody who will come to the Lord's table, we're more like the servants that the master sent out and said, go into the highways and byways and bring them in. Jesus was talking about evangelism, witnessing the gospel, traveling. Go find anyone who will come and bring them to the Lord's table. And then when they come, we give up our our eunice, our uniqueness, our independence. We submit to God's will as a whole, individually and as a whole so that they can find a seat at the table. Fast forward about 25 years in my life, I had another similar day 
I was doing ministry instead of at Radio Shack, but I was, I was doing ministry, and they were having a family dinner at my house. It was kind of funny in a way because they sat at the table and somebody miscounted the chairs and how many chairs were to be at the table. And before I ever got into the dining room where all, and living room where all the table, the table and chairs was all stretched out and whatever, I heard them saying, somehow we don't have enough chairs. And somebody had come in before me. And though all the food was on the table and everybody could have begun to eat, that person who had come in before me was missing a seat. And they said, we need another chair. And it became everyone's job, almost everyone. There was a couple of people who were just kind of lazily sitting around. Pretty much everybody was going, where are we going to get another chair? Where are we going to put it? We're going to... And everybody's figuring out how to shift the chairs all around the table to include another chair. And another chair materialized out of somewhere, and it was put at the table. And, and, and the plate was there all of a sudden, and the silverware was there all of a sudden, and they were included. They were at the table and ready to eat. And then another person came in before me. It's like, oh, we, somehow we still don't have enough chairs. And, and it was like, and a chair materialized out of nowhere, and the plate was there, and the silver was there. And all the food was on the table. No one had started eating yet. Not even the little kids with their tiny little tummies that were ravenous beasts ready to literally eat your left arm if they couldn't be allowed to start. No one was eating yet. We're all sitting there staring. I wasn't even in the room yet. Sitting there staring at the food. We're not going to eat yet until everybody has a chair. And then all of a sudden there's another chair and all the setting is there. And And then I came in. And that Christmas, 25 years before, came rushing back. Those emotions, you don't really belong, no one cares that you made it, there's no one to talk to, you can come or not, we don't care, you should have been here on time, whatever, it all came rushing back to me and I walked in the room and I thought, I'll just get a plate and stand in the kitchen. But then it was the family saying, no, uh, we're still short. One more chair. We need one more chair. Where, you know, where's dad or grandpa, whoever said it, going to sit? And so, so then everybody's shuffling around and suddenly there's another chair there and there's a plate and silverware. And I sat down at the table and I ate. That's how the church is supposed to be. Yes. Take your seat at the table. Yes. Don't quit. No more excuses. Take your seat. Don't quit. But if anyone else should want to come to the table, then the whole church... Listen, if somebody comes... I'm just going to be very simplistic about this. If we are singing worship up here... Brother Tim, I'm authorizing you right now. And, if I, and I know you're, what you're gonna, your heart is going to say the same thing I'm about to say. If we're, and somebody comes in our sanctuary on a Sunday morning at 1140, and they're bawling like a baby, they're obviously broken... And the only person that knows that they're in that situation is the praise team. Somebody from the praise team needs to point that out at least to me or to somebody else in the room. And we need to gather around that person and we need to say, you are welcome at the table. Believe me, you're going to love this. Let us pray for you. Let us encourage you. I'm not saying take them out. They need to be here. I'm not saying give them an excuse. No, they need to be here. Draw them in. Love them to the table. And at the same time, I understand, be aware that sitting at the table somewhere today, sitting in this room somewhere today, is is people that are hurting. And we need to be sensitive to that. We need to be aware of that. And we need to be ready to help. You may have to pony up your checkbook, so get your stinking finances in line. And you may have to put your back or your muscles into it, so start getting your health in line. You may have to say an encouraging word, so start training your mouth to say encouraging things. 
You may have to bring Scripture to a difficult situation, so start reading your Bible. You may have to move the God of heaven to do a miracle, so start praying and talking to Him about it now. Take your seat at the table. It's the Lord's table. Don't quit. And get used to it. Because if you're part of this church, this is the church that cares about everybody else. This is a church that cares about everybody else, that tries to reach people and bring them in, or it's no church at all. I've been to churches where you can just slip in and sit in basically anonymity, and no one knows whether you came, and no one knows when you left. They don't know your name and they, didn't read your, they don't know if you read your Bible or if you prayed or if you're doing anything to serve God. And they don't really care because they're just there to worship. It's so loud nobody can talk. So many people that nobody cares whether somebody showed up or not. That's no church. That's not the church that Paul was talking about. It's not the church that Hebrews was talking about. And we have had over the years a number of people in our church who appealed to the church and said, please... Let us love like this. And today it's not me that's asking us to do that. It's God. And in case you are doubting that in any way, shape, or form, there's the sentences that we wrote in the journal. Stand united. Jesus, today we work together. And church stands firm in the spirit against the evil one. That's what it's like to be at the Lord's table. Now let's live that rather than just journal it. I also like to add, the Lord led me to set alarms for half dozen alarm clocks around the room. And only one went off. You can use a lot of crutches. But there's a way to train yourself to wake up on Sunday morning and be excited about going to the Lord's table with no alarm at all. There is a way to train yourself to, share, to go to sharing the gospel whenever you see somebody hurting, whatever they have questions. There is a way to train yourself to give of yourself, to give up yourself. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. There is a way. Or are we independent? I don't want to be codependent, but you got to be dependent on God. And we have to be dependent on each other. We're going to pray briefly, and then we'll go to a final song. I just ask you to listen to the Lord. Father in heaven, I know that there are churches out there that in seeking you and desiring to live for you have uh, moved into community, moved into apartment complexes or started camps or things. And we know that's not what your word teaches. And I also know that there are churches out there like what we talked about who are just big enough that nobody knows anybody. The sad, the lonely, the brokenhearted can slip in and out of the room and never be served. And that is definitely not what your church is about. 
We have a unique set of gifts in our fellowship. An amazing ability to sacrifice and to love. We thank you for inviting us to your table. And if there be somebody here today who has not taken their spot at the table, they've not allowed themselves to be born again, not allowed themselves to be ministered to by King Jesus, they've not said He is Lord, and begun to live their lives for Him, then Lord, just reach into their heart now, just touch their minds, give them clarity of thought, and for now, In this moment, let them choose you over everything. Now, there are a lot of people, given the amount of giving, the amount of heart in this room, who have turned their life over to you. And now I'm asking you, Lord, to let each one of us see how we can be the church individually and corporately that claims our spot at the table that lives in love for one another more concerned about whether the other person is getting what they want and what they need as long as it's not sin than than us getting what we want or what we need Lord help us learn to begin to give up our unis our uniqueness our individuality our, our separateness and to become a corporate body in Christ with all the organs knit together so tightly that when, if, God forbid, one would be absent, we would ache so badly. There are times where I ache for people who claim to be this church who, who don't do, don't show up, don't serve, don't know, and not coming to the table. And it hurts. And I pray, Lord, that it would hurt us all until we do so much about it that we know for a fact that that person is just not going to do it. They're just not going to come. They're just not going to participate. They're not going to eat of your table. They've declined the invitation. And if they've declined the invitation, Lord, then help us to add them back to our prospect list to pray for them, to reach out to them, to love them as a, as a neighbor or a fellow community member rather than a person who's at the table with us. Some people in this room have family members whose names have come to mind. And I ask you to heal them, yes, but more importantly, to strengthen them, to be the kind of man or woman that reaches out that draws them in, that makes sure they have a seat at the table if they are willing to come. We are not putting behind or letting go the important teachings that we've been studying. We understand we have to repent of dead works and not try to earn our spot. I understand we have to trust you with this like we trust you with everything. We understand that our outside needs some adjustment so that it's not offensive, so that it's reaching and not pushing away. And we could go down the list. 
But Lord, we need Your healing so that our church can grow in maturity and also in numbers. Just as there is no limit to the number of seats You will put at the table, there is no limit to what You can do through us if we submit ourselves completely. Help us be ministers of reconciliation. Help us not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us reach out and draw close the downtrodden and the hurting, the isolating and the fearful. Help us find ways to cross barriers. People that say they want to come but they don't have transportation. Lord, help us find a way to aid them so they can come to the table. It's no excuse. Or giving them a podcast address or a streaming address, that's no excuse. We have to find a way. And we believe that you have that way. So we're asking you, Lord. And we believe that it starts with the desire in our hearts to grow the kingdom of God that supersedes and transcends and overcomes our desire to be who we are. Please help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Ask the praise team to come forward at this time and help us to, to lead us in this worship song. This is our last of the day. We're still at the table. I ask you to worship God and let God speak to your heart. And if you have not done something you know you should, or if you've done something you know you should, you tell the Lord, look, I, I hear you, Lord. I see what you're doing. Let this be your wake-up call. Let this be your moment of saying, this is what I can be. I can be new. I can be fresh. I can be born again. If you're not already. And if you are already, then let this be that moment which you can say, I can be on fire to bring people to the table.
about Jesus. Tuesday is about Jesus. Wednesday is about Jesus. Thursday is about Jesus. About then you'll be forgetting about Jesus. Friday is about Jesus. About then you'll be saying, oh, the weekend's coming. Work week is over and soon church on Sunday. Saturday is about Jesus and Sunday is about Jesus. And if any of your days or any of your hours are in no way about Jesus, then you've got a problem. Football is about Jesus. Role-playing games is about Jesus. Drill rig operating is about Jesus. Maintenance, about Jesus. Making chicken, it's about Jesus. All about Jesus. And if any of it is not about Jesus, you've got a problem. You need a wake-up call. And you love Jesus, and so much sometimes you go into the cave, you go into the place where it's not about Jesus, figuring, well, I'll automatically come out the other side. You set an alarm, maybe, to make sure that you'll come out the other side, but the wake-up call never comes, and that's exactly what happens to people who eat at a table other than the Lord's table. You cannot get it from Jesus and also get it from somewhere else. You can't. Might seem like the best thing. I'll never forget when my dad, my grandpa took us out to dinner in uh, the restaurant next to Sterling's and uh, Rossford over there and he said, um, when you get back to grandma's, don't tell her that we ate out. Just eat dinner anyway. He said, do you think you can do that? Eat here and eat again in an hour? And we, my brother and I said, oh, we can do it, we can do it. But when we got there, we couldn't do it. And we ate pretty good at the restaurant, and we couldn't hardly eat there. Listen, you can't eat at another table and also eat at the Lord's table. Get your truth straight from Jesus. Get your power straight from Jesus. Get your hope in Jesus. If you get it from somewhere else, then you can't get it from Jesus. We're going to close in prayer at this time, but great blessings that we we have a meeting today. We have a membership meeting here just shortly. We have just a couple of important things to deal with on the agenda, and so we'll come back together as members, and we will, again, take our seats at the table and try to do what it is that the Lord would have us to do today, which will go by fairly quickly, but that's a moment to care about what other people uh, are doing, are trying to be, and so on. So I'm going to ask uh, Alicia, would you close some prayer at this time? And then we'll come back together in this room in just a few minutes, just enough to go to the bathroom and whatever. We'll get back to that meeting pretty quickly. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for this day and for bringing us here to sit at the table and do work for you and learn about you and grow in your name. I ask that you be with all of us as we go through this membership meeting, as we go about our ways with the football game today, and that we remember that you are the head of everything, that it is about you and the work that we do for you. Hey, you've been listening to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church of East Toledo. Uh, Whether you found us on Alexa or Stitcher or Google Podcasts or iTunes or where, we're just so glad that you tuned in and hopefully... uh, Um, I guess grew a little bit, reached New Heights in Jesus today. Uh, New Heights is a relatively small, very impactful church in Toledo, Ohio. And we are also serving through the Southside Life Station and a variety of other ministries throughout Toledo and uh, therefore indirectly the world. And so we could use your assistance. If you're enjoying these podcasts, uh, your support helps to keep them on the air and available to you. So please feel free to text GIVE to 419-419-0095 and you can give via your cell phone 
on your credit or debit card. You can mail a check to 255 Hefner, Toledo, Ohio, 43605, and address that to New Heights Fellowship Baptist Church. You can go on our website at churchtoledo.com and give that way. You can pray for us and pray for the gospel to get out and a powerful movement of God's Spirit as the kingdom of God advances on the face of the earth. If you'd like to volunteer, if you're in the Toledo area and you want to connect up, please reach out to the church. More information on our website. Please reach out to the Life Station. More information at lifestationtoledo.com or also on the churchtoledo.com. And um, wherever you live, as far as you may be, we would ask you to remember that love is for everyone, that the love of Jesus constrains us. It leads us to be the kind of people that we're supposed to be and advance the kingdom of God as we deliver the gospel, which is the ministry of reconciliation. Please inform everyone that you know that by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord, which means that you t he tells you what to do, and Savior, which means he paid the price for your sins, and that God has raised him from the dead, and then confessing this with your mouth, that you too can be saved. Please, please, please join us in advancing the kingdom of God on earth. There may not be all that much time left, but here is a fact. Love is for everyone. You too can reach new heights in Jesus. God bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen.